I hope that you've realized over the last few weeks as we've been talking about family, we've been talking about kids a lot because part of the vision for our church in the next five years is to pass the baton of faith down to the next generation. And we've been talking about what kids need over time. And if there's anything that we have, it's time. Because Jesus knows, well, maybe Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. He said, right, only the Father knows the the day and the hour, the time. Um, God knows when Jesus is coming back. God knows how much time we have. And we have to be in this uh, work of ministry, this work of being the church for the long haul. And so we've been talking about kids. We've been talking about what they need. We've been talking about uh, how a phase is a time frame in a kid's life when you could leverage distinctive opportunities to influence a kid's future. So this fall, Lord willing, this fall, we're either going to have a small group or a, a, a discipleship class on Sunday mornings for parents at different, who, are, who are in different phases with their kids. So one, one phase might be preschool. Another phase might be elementary school. They've actually, um, the, the Orange Ministry has actually developed resources for parents so that you've got, you've got kind of a guidebook literally for each year of a kid's life all the way up through 18. That would mean that there's then 18 guidebooks and distinctive situations in the life of a kid at each age. So for me, I'm thinking about my kids because they're not like me. My time has passed. They're already grown and the cement has hardened, right, in their lives, for more or less, for my influence as, as they're up for, in regards to their upbringing. But they've got little kids, and I want to pass some of this on to them so that they can maybe do some of the things with their kids that I was never able to do with my kids. So as grandparents and as parents, um, we're talking about this uh, this spring because I, for a while, wanted to talk about family and do some messages on the family. But we're also kind of combining that with just an overall emphasis in our church on the next generation. So while we may look at some of these messages and say, and these don't really apply to me. They do apply to us. They apply to all of us because it's all of our jobs to pass the faith down to the next generation and the generation after that to our children and our children's children. It's all of our jobs. And as I've talked to some of you, I hear how you talk about your grandkids and some of you about your great-grandkids. I mean, you're pretty thrilled and you're pretty proud and you're fairly interested in what they're doing in their lives. So Friday, not to get off on a tangent, but just a short story. Friday was my, the, my wife and mine, I don't know how to say that. It was our wedding anniversary. Um, and so we wanted to spend the day together. And normally we spend the day with our grandkids. And then something came up where, where one of our kids needed us to help us with a grandkid. So we went to Des Moines and we helped them until about 1 p.m., 1.30 and in my mind, I was thinking, you know, how much time are we going to have the rest of the day that we can spend together, you know, because we don't do much of that anymore because we're busy with our kids. So the time came to hand the kids over in the, in the parking lot and say goodbye to our son and the kids. I felt so guilty. My wife and I were just going to, what better could we do but follow him home and spend the rest of the day with him and those kids? Now, we didn't do that. And instead, I slept through half of a movie, 
and probably didn't have as much fun the rest of the day. So I get the fixation on our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. And so what we're talking about, uh, for instance, the next slide up here is going to say there are six things that every kid needs over time from parents and leaders. Let's expand that. From the influential, important adults in their life. So yesterday my daughter-in-law graduated from Morningside College in Sioux City with her master's degree. And so we went out there for it and her parents were there and her son, my grandson, was there. And my grandson was like, there's Papa, and there's Grandma, and there's Grandma, and there's Grandpa, and there's Aunt So, and all of his family was there. And I guarantee you, all of us as adults are influential in his life. And so these are things that kids need. And it's good for us to know this. It's good for us as a church to know this, to understand when you see things going on, why we're doing what we're doing, that it's not just, it's not just fun and games. But there's a purpose, and that purpose is to make disciples. It's to make disciples. We've already been made disciples, and our job is to pass it down. So we've been talking about things like time over time that, that, that creates a history of a relationship, and that love over time gives a kid worth, that words over time give a kid direction, and that tribes over time uh, give a kid a sense of belonging, And then last week we talked about stories over time, how stories give a kid perspective. And we save the best for last. You ready? Are you ready for this? This is intensely spiritual. Fun. Fun over time. This is something that kids need from the adults in their life. And you say, fun? That's not spiritual. Fun is like anti-spiritual. I mean, the way I was brought up, Fun was something you did outside of this room, outside of the worship center. There was another special room that was where kids could have fun. In fact, I didn't do this. Did they already leave? I'm so sorry. I was supposed to release the kids to kids' church. Did they already take it upon themselves to go? So through fifth grade, Parker was going to be back there? Oh, my. Well, we're really we're focused on kids here, let me tell you. We're so focused. We're so focused I forgot about them. Um, so fun over time. Fun over time creates connection. It creates connection. Think about the fun you had as a kid. Did you think, did you think that it was an optional thing? Was it something that was an afterthought for you as a kid? No, fun, fun was like, it was a necessity. You spent most of your time in school thinking about the fun you were going to have when you either got out of your seat and out of the classroom or when you got out of the school at the end of the day. You were thinking about fun. When I was uh, 14, 1977, I saved up my paper route money and I went to the, uh, um, the Big N. It was in a department store. And I bought for $39.95, I bought a brand new ping pong table that my dad and I could play on. We'd already been playing darts in the family room and we'd been playing Yahtzee, and we'd been playing these uh, uh, scat and these other games, and I thought this was a game I, I saw at other people's houses, and I would like it. So like I said, I saved up my money, I bought it. My dad and I, we put one of those strings up on the wall with the little beads, you know, where you could slide them over, and the first one to get to 100, I don't know where we got it, probably some garage sale or something. We played 
thousands of games on that ping pong table. By the way, Pastor John's not here, so I can talk about him now. Hopefully, are you listening, Pastor John? Are you watching us? Um, We talked about playing for the longest time, and we never did. You know, your pastors weren't here playing ping pong all week, I guarantee you. I don't know, maybe one time. And it was so long ago that I didn't play that long because I told them, we're going to play until I start to sweat. That was like two minutes, and then we stopped playing. But we finally played one of those fun nights that we had, and I whipped him. I whipped him. But you want to know who whipped me and everybody else? It was, um, it was uh, Chris Barton. Don't ever play ping pong with Chris Barton. He's an animal on the ping pong table. No, no. And, and, then, and then right along with him is Dan, Dan Birkenholz. Dan has the weirdest, weirdest style of play. You cannot figure it out. He, makes, he, he plays everything overhand. He goes like this. He's playing like this. He goes like this. He goes like this. He goes like this. And then instead of turning his paddle, he goes like this this, and he slams overhand. It's crazy. So we played ping pong, and really, it was a lot of fun, but what were we really doing? We were spending time together. And then in 1980, just a few years later, my mom and dad and I, we went to this place in Livonia, New York, and we found this pool table, and we paid $200 for a pool table. I don't know where my parents came up with $200 at the time. That might as well have been 1000 But somehow we came up with it, and we put a pool table in our house that until just this past year was at my parents' house. And for 35 years, my dad and I played pool together. Now, what were we doing? We were having fun. We laughed a lot. We goofed around a lot. We cheated some just to have fun and laugh. What were we doing? We were spending time together. We were building a relationship together. And if we had not done those things, I really don't know what kind of a relationship I would have had with my dad. In fact, I was uh, on a sabbatical in the summer of 15, and I was at my dad's house for the last two months uh, that he was at his home. The last day that he was at his house, and we didn't know it was going to be the last day, but I would walk down the stairs in front of him so in case he fell, he'd just fall on me. But we got down there, and we played pool. And dad was so, his dementia was so bad at that point, He'd, he'd get down there and he'd line up a ball. There wasn't any ball in front of the stick. He'd go, he'd go, and he'd stand up, he'd look, and he'd say, I'd say, you missed, Dad, here, try again, and I'd, I'd move a ball and I'd line it up for him. He didn't know, but we were playing pool. I was scared to death he was going to trip over himself and fall that day. I remember it clearly. But we played pool that day, and as we walked up the stairs, I was behind him. He made it all the way up, and I never, I never had to push him. The next morning, he woke up, and he had a bad infection, and he had stuff going on. And for two hours, he laid on the couch where we found him that next morning, and I finally said, Dad, should I call the ambulance? I think we need to take you to the hospital. And his mind was still very cloudy. He just said, yeah. And we took him, and we, he never came back to the house. So the last full day he was there, he and I played pool, which I thought was so fitting because it was our language together. It was our connection. It was the fun that we had. Now, some people, in terms of fun, will say, well, it's not our job to entertain kids or uh, kids need to learn to be reverent. Uh, Life is not all fun and games. They might say even fun has to have a point to it, which it always should 
Because fun isn't the foundation. Fun is above the foundation. The foundation is relationship, and then the fun enhances that. Anyway, but how can kids learn if they're always having so much fun? So let me quickly develop a a short theology of fun for us as we think about working with kids. So the word fun is never used in the Scripture, but fun's cousins show up like 600 times. Glad, rejoice, celebrate, happy, laughter, etc. These words show up hundreds of times over and over. Of course, throughout the Psalms, there's even more cousins of the word fun that show up over and over. But God wants us to enjoy life. He created us to enjoy us, and He wants us to enjoy Him. He created the world so that we could rule over it, so that we could have dominion over it, and so that we could enjoy it. Now, fun is a fun by any other name, right? We could use the word joy. There's a lot of different words. In our culture, we say fun. But does fun mean um, cheap 50-cent fun? Uh, No, no. Because the fun I had with my dad gave me deep joy because I knew that he enjoyed being with me. And so there are verses like Luke 15, 32 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. When the, the, the father of the prodigal said to his upset son, he said, we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. In Psalm 126, it's a psalm of deliverance and it's a psalm of return from exile. And it's just really short. But the first three verses say this, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Another translation is, when the Lord brought his people back and put them back into the land. It says, we were like those who dreamed. It was like so good. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. They were so overjoyed, they were so happy, they were so enjoying life that the people around them said, the Lord has done these things because their situation does not demand this kind of happiness, but the Lord has done this for them. And then verse 3 says, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Joy is something that's talked about over and over again in Scripture, In fact, in uh, Psalm 32, it says, Rejoice in the Lord and be what? Be glad, you righteous. Sing all all you who are upright in heart. We have an epidemic in our culture of young people today. That epidemic is, results from a loss of hope. A loss of hope is about this most opposite of being joyful that I can think of is when your future is just so black there's no light coming through anywhere. There is no prospect for joy. The epidemic is suicide. In fact, that's not just in our younger generation. It's throughout. More suicides going on today in America than at any time in history. And we wonder if people need the ability to have fun. 
Because I think fun is fueled by two things. It's fueled by a relationship, and it's fueled by joy. Because you can have a relationship that's not joyful. (laughs) But you can't have joy without a relationship. But when you've got a relationship that produces joy, you can have fun together. And this epidemic of suicide is destroying, well, it destroys people's lives. It destroys families. It destroys small communities. In my last church, there was an 18-year-old who took a rifle and put it to his head in his parents' family room when they were home and took his life. I will never forget the wails out of that little holding room off of the emergency room of his mother and the words that came out of her mouth that day. I mean, the bottom. I, I can't imagine a human being could be any lower than she was. Today that couple is still married. They are, it's nine years later. They're married. They attend church every week. They love their other kids, their grandkids. I call it a miracle because by no right should they have survived maritally. That was so horrible. Their situation was so untenable. But God brought them through that because of God. Because of God, they have joy today. Because of God, they have hope. Because of God, I've actually seen them having fun when I thought, how could you ever have fun? Crazy. In Psalm 68, it says, but may the righteous, may the righteous, those who are connected to God, those who are in relationship with a God who brings joy, may they be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. The, God wants the righteous to be happy. Now, I have a question I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven. Why is the word, why aren't the words smile and laughter in the scriptures more than they are? I mean, encouragement, they say, is the oxygen of the soul, right? Joy is the oil of the heart. Rejoicing is what God wants. There's no words that modern translations, not very many, that, that, that translate into English laugh or laughter or smile. There's words like countenance and things like that that kind of mean the same thing. And maybe it's just a, a language barrier. But I wish the English Bible said more about laughter and smiling because I feel like it gives the sour dour crowd a reason to say, stay sour and dour. Well, smile isn't in the Bible anymore. You know it takes more muscles in your face to smile than it does to frown. You know, it's just the opposite, right? But whenever they hear it, they always think it's the other way around. That's how they remember it. And never, never to change their mind. Proverbs 29, 6 says, The righteous shout for joy and are glad. And then the, the verse to end all verses... Paul to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. If there was ever a guy whose ministry experience did not lend toward rejoicing, it was that Pastor Paul who was beat up, 
dumped outside the city and left for dead. Let me, I, I'm going to guarantee you this. If y'all beat me up and you leave me out at the, outside of the racetrack in Newton for dead, I ain't coming back in this church. I'm just not coming back, all right? I'm not. But Paul decided he was going to do it because he got up, dusted himself off, and he went back in the city. And they had to, Paul, are you out of your mind? We've got to get you out of here. Go somewhere where your ministry is going to be effective. But he would go right back, and he's the one who writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. So he's describing this deep sense of joy, uh, a joy that transcends fun, yet it creates an environment where fun can exist. It creates an environment where there's this enjoyment of time spent together. If you ever spend time with people who aren't very joyful, uh, it's just not really that fun. It's not that fun. You want to leave the room pretty quick. In fact, sometimes an elevator ride, a couple floors with somebody not that joyful, seems like a long time, right? You just see it on their face. Don't turn around. Let you wish there was something. Just stare at the numbers. You know, make sure you press the right number because you don't want to get into a conversation because you know it's not going to be happy. So we want to create environments where fun can exist even when we're in difficult circumstances because that's the true definition of joy. Joy is to be able to have fun in circumstances that are not fun. But because you have joy, you can enjoy the moment. And again, to me, fun is the enjoyment of a relationship or the enjoyment of an activity with somebody else. And I did that. My dad made a lot of mistakes over the years, but the one mistake he did not make was spending time with me doing things that the two of us could really enjoy. I learned a lot about him and about how he thought about me without him ever having to say the words because of the things that we did. He and I had this signal that we'd be at the table for dinner and we didn't want to let anybody know we were going to go play ping pong. So he had this signal and it was, it was very uh, obscure, but it was, it was the hand going like this. And dad smoked a cigar for many years and so he'd take his cigar and he'd put it in his mouth and he'd go like this and then he'd put it back down. And I knew that was a signal. I'd disappear and then a minute or two later he'd disappear and then five minutes later my mom would hear the ping pong ball. Or years later she'd hear the balls downstairs getting racked up on the pool table. It was just, it wasn't anything, it was just a fun little thing. And we took that little thing and we would my mom would look, we'd, we would just, you know, do something like that. It was just a fun thing that connected us. It was that family language. You all have family language, right, that's just in your family and only you could. Like if I said to you, hawk, hawk, yeah, right? Yeah, what's a hawk? If I say that to my daughter, she knows exactly what it means. If I say it to any of my kids, they know exactly what it means. It's family language. It's, it's something fun because it harkens back to an experience, an activity that we did together that now has meaning that it's hard to even really explain. And, and you can't even translate it to somebody outside of the family. So let, let's ask a question. What can fun do over time for your relationship with a kid or a teenager? What can fun do? And I've just got four quick things. 
Number one, fun can convince kids that you like them. Depending on your personality, you know, some of us just need help with this one, right? Because our personality might not tend, lend to, you know, let our kids know that we like them. In fact, I've told my kids for years, I love you, I even like you. And I, I make sure to tell them that. I want them to know that I like them. And when my grandkids get big enough, I'll probably tell them that too. Because your kids know that you love them. But when you have fun with them, when you have fun with them, then they know that you like them too. Because you're laughing with them. And when they say something, you laugh and they know that you think that they're funny. Or you think that they just did a good job. Or, or you're invested in their life. You're doing something that you know they want to do. And you're allowing them to have fun with you. And that allows them to know that you like them. Because they know that you love them. We can love people without liking them, right? I mean, just look around the room, right? That was a joke. But not really. I mean, we don't even, a lot of us don't know the other people. But, but honestly, through Christ, we can love people. We can love them. And then some people we don't really like. But we know we have to love them because love is a command. I don't know that like is. Some of you might correct me. Maybe like is a command too. The second thing that having fun with a kid does is it reconnects what's disconnected. Sometimes there's disconnections because you're in one phase of life and the kid, your kid, the kid that you're with, the young person is in another phase of life and there's this disconnection. They have what they call for kids who have been through, especially through some trauma, they have this thing called play therapy, right? Where you get down and you play, you do stuff with a kid. Why do they do that? Because it, it connects where there's disconnection. There's, this, there's you, there's the kid. From my perspective, I'm the kid, and then there's you, and we're really not connected. Oh, but there's this thing over there, here that's fun. And if you go there, I'll meet you there, and we can connect over here on this fun thing. But you know, here's the little secret. Play therapy is not just for kids. It's not just for kids. It's for adults too, right? I mean, just now, if, if you're old enough where you don't do play therapy anymore, and you'd never call it that, but maybe you have to like reimagine what it might be like again. To just play with your spouse or play with other friends. Or uh, my mom, who's in the memory care unit, they come and they play games. And they play games with each other. That makes this connection. Where there's a disconnection, the fun makes a connection. So it can reconnect what's disconnected. The third thing that fun can do is it can foster resilience in a kid. Because a kid who has fun, even when times are difficult, the ability to have fun, even when life is hard, even when there's a struggle, you know, even when um, there's, you go through setbacks and disappointments, but you can still have fun, it tells a kid, hey, there's, I still have hope. There's hope for the future. Because if my parent can have fun, or if my leader, or if my uncle, or my grandfather, if he can have fun, even when I know he or she is going through this difficult time, then, then, then I, can get it, I can get through it too. But, but if every time there's a struggle, ooh, oh, bad day, stay away from that person. Oh, can't be around her now, can't be around him now. What do they teach? That, that struggles 
destroy life and that struggles take us down and that struggles hold us down. But being able to have fun through struggles and fun through difficulty will foster a resilience in our kids. And then the last thing is that fun and having fun with kids, it authenticates forgiveness. It authenticates forgiveness. Now, when my dad would drink, he would always have the next day, he was always quiet. And he would sit in the chair and stare at the TV like this. When he was sitting like with the finger like this, staring at the TV, you don't talk to him. Don't talk to him. But I would know he was coming out of it when he'd crack a joke. Oh, oh, he's cracking a joke. We can engage now. We can, he's, he's letting down whatever barrier was there. For me, that was, that was as though he were mad at me. That something was going on that he was keeping me out. Of course, I didn't understand it at the time. I just knew that when he would make fun and when he would laugh and when he would tell a joke or smile at me, I knew that we were, we were back in it. We were back in it, and I could start communicating, and we could start having a back and forth and a give and take. So fun authenticates that, that reconnection. And when you're upset with your kid, or if it's not your kid, you've got to be stern, say, sometimes, and show kind of the, you know, the adult face. But then they know, they know when you start having fun with them again, that they're forgiven. That forgiveness is understood and received. So all of these things, over time, kids need. And kids do need fun. So let me ask you a question. You want to show love? You want to tell them the right stories? You want to give them the right words? You want to help them to belong? How are you doing with the kids in your life for just having fun with them? For allowing them to connect? And I know a lot of you are doing so good. I know you are. Because I see you around kids. And I hear you talk about your grandkids. And I know when they, when they come in the room, and there's something about certain ages, right? The smaller they are, the goofier we are. But as they get a little older and a little older, we get a little, a little more serious with them. But some of you don't. Some of you will never get serious. And I, I love that. Because they know they can always come in and have a good time with you. They can always come in and they can reconnect with you. Because that fun that you have with them gives them permission It paves that relationship road between you and them. So I just want to encourage you, have fun. Allow kids to see the joy that you have. And then connect that joy, connect the source. Connect the source of that joy always back to your relationship with God. That you have a God who loves you and who rejoices over you and who has fun just watching you be you. And you can do that with the kids in your life. So let's look at this list again. Time over time, kids need. Love over time, kids need. Kids kids need words over time. They need tribes. They need belonging over time, groups to belong in. They need stories over time. And then they need fun over time.